VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week at VA. I am your host, Timothy Lawson. I am excited to bring to you episode 36. This week features Army veteran Josh Heath, who is going to talk to us about veterans being involved in the role-playing game community and uh, how that helps with their interpersonal skills, their uh, communicating, their storytelling, etc. Before we get to our interview with Josh, I want to announce, some of you may have seen already on our blog, uh, registration is now open for the 2017 National Women Veterans Summit. It's going to be in Houston from August uh, on August 25th and 26th. It is being hosted by VA Center for Women and Veterans with the support of partners including uh, the VFW, the DAV, uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America, American Legion, AMVETS, USDA, IAVA, uh, Military Order, the Purple Heart, and many others. This is going to be a really uh, great event for uh, for networking, for learning the resources that are available to women and veterans, to learn how the community is growing, who the leaders in the community are. The summit will focus on the issues important to women veterans, as well as provide training and guidance to assist women and their supporters in navigating VA resources, as well as state, local, and partner resources. So there's going to be a lot of material and a lot of information uh, being given there. I know I hope to attend just to, to learn more about the community. Uh, and if you go to blogs.va.gov, um, you will see there is a blog there called Registration Now Open. In that blog, there is a click this link to register now. Uh, you click that, you follow that, you can register for the summit. I hope to see you there. This week's interview features Josh Heath, an Army veteran. He is going to talk to us about role-playing games and if you remember uh role-playing games are like pathfinder shouter run and probably the most popular uh dungeons and dragons and the reason why i think this is interesting is because it is a unorthodox example of how veterans can find community and how they can learn valuable skill sets that are transferable to real life now uh, if you, maybe you're rolling your eyes, maybe you're shrugging your shoulders, maybe you don't, maybe you not understand how uh, that can be acquired through role-playing games. I encourage you to listen to this following interview with Josh. He is a leader in the community. He led. Uh, he was the game master for a lot of games uh, he hosted in the army. He helped soldiers uh, on their R and R stuff like that, and now uh, he's a leader in the community. Uh, now, having left the military. Uh, but works with veterans and, and explains how it's valuable to them. So uh, here's my interview with Josh. Enjoy. Josh Heath, uh, Army veteran. Uh, you and I met at American University where we both uh, pursued degrees. Um, and we've stayed in touch since. And this is our first opportunity to, to collaborate in a way and um, I'm glad because you're gonna uh, you're gonna bring an interesting perspective to 
of, to veterans finding community again in role-playing games. Before we get there, um, let's start where we start every interview. Why did you decide to join the United States military? Yeah, so I was uh, I was homeless in San Diego, living in my car, uh, and I realized that uh, I wasn't where I wanted to be in life. So I made a ten year plan, and I knew that the uh, the military at the time it was probably going to be the Air Force, but I ended up joining the Army was going to be the path uh, to help me get to where I wanted to be in ten years. So. That's kind of the the situation that got me moving, at least. Yeah. What what made the switch between Army and Air, or Air Force and then Army? So I spent about a year um, trying to get into the Air Force, calling the recruiter. And uh, it was 2006. The Air Force was way over strength. They didn't need more people. So I finally gave up on them and said, you know, they're not calling me back. The Army is going to give me the job I'm at least sort of interested in. Um, so let me look at them took the ASVAB, and then, of course, the Air Force called me. But I decided, you know what? I gave you a year. At this point, I'm going to go with the Army and see how that goes. Yeah. When you made your 10-year plan, what was the last step in that plan? So my goal was to join uh, the UN or to work for some sort of international organization doing some sort of peacekeeping around the world. That was the long-term goal. What, what originally had you interested in that? You know, there were a couple of things. One, I wanted to, I kind of, I wanted to learn another language. I wanted to travel the world. And I thought, you know, doing something, joining the military to do those things, to then go to the UN, where I would then spend a lot of time overseas, that kind of fit what my, where my brain was and kind of the idea of hopefully making some sort of difference in the world, um, sowing peace, whatever that looked like. Um, that was kind of the, the things in the back of my mind, at least. Okay. And then, um, so so that was 2004. You waited, so you ended up enlisting 2006? That's right. Yeah, it was 2006 before I finally got in. Um, and then I actually turned 25, um, you know, on family day in basic training. Okay. Um, do, you, do you have a um, – do you have an experience, a story – um, that sort of epitomizes your time in something, a, a story you like to reference or recall to, uh, frequently. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so when I was deployed, I was deployed to Iraq, um, between 2008 and 2009. And, uh, I worked at the MWR and I actually ended up getting, uh, an AAM, an army achievement medal for running twice weekly team building activities which were actually um, uh, twice a week I would run Dungeons and Dragons for two different groups of people uh, that were looking to kind of escape a little bit from our deployment and some of the stress that they were undergoing. Yeah, that's cool. I uh, I wish someone was doing that when I was in. Uh, I would have liked to pick up find a pickup game. Were these were okay. these soldiers that were familiar with the game or were they new to it? So I had two different groups of people. Uh, one group that were completely unfamiliar or – at least knew about the game, but had never gotten the chance to play it. Maybe had felt a little bit like it wasn't going to be their thing, but they were still interested in it. Um, and it was interesting for me. It was really cool kind of bringing them into it and seeing their enjoyment from it. And then I had another group that was uh, mostly people that had played before, uh, knew what they were doing, and got involved because, you know, there was a group running the game pretty much. Yeah, and you, and you said it um... – 
a little bit of escapism. Did you did you notice that? Did you notice that any sort of calmness or relief come over them while they were playing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, for both groups, it was definitely like a moment to de-stress, decompress. One of the groups, actually, elements of both groups were going out of the wire on missions pretty regularly. So it was a way for them to kind of focus on something completely away from the desert and say, okay, you know, we're here in this, you know, this fantasy world, um, still um, kind of just breaking away a little bit, you know, getting their heads into a different space, enjoying it, working out some frustrations. Um, and it was pretty cool. That's cool. We're going to talk a little bit more um, about role-playing games and how veterans can uh, use it for similar reasons. Uh, but I'm going to finish on your uh, your military service. You transitioned out uh, what year? To 2010, 2011? Yeah, I got off of active duty in December of 2011. Uh, I was in the active reserves drilling every month for about 15 months afterwards. So I finally left the service in uh, in 2013. Okay. And what what prompted that transition? Was it something you had planned, or was something was there something else? It was the plan from the beginning. You know, my my plan going in the military was to go in and get out. You know, I wasn't going to extend that plan very much. I actually re-enlisted once because the first time I enlisted, I enlisted for two and a half years. And then I realized I needed to be in for at least six more months to get the GI Bill, which was part of the whole goal. So figured out a plan with my wife, who I had met in Korea. We went to Germany, um, re-enlisted for a little bit longer, just long enough to get the GI Bill fully and be able to get out, go to school, and do that thing. So the education benefits that the military provided was a part of that 10-year goal that you had set out? Absolutely. My goal was initially just to get a bachelor's degree, maybe work on a master's degree, but I ended up using my GI Bill for what I call GI Bill for purpose, and I got two degrees in four years. I, I got my bachelor's at Marist College, and then I went to American University and I got my uh, master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. Yeah, that's brilliant. That is um, that is something that I try to encourage so many veterans to transitioning veterans to do. Um, not only to um, not only to try to get a little bit of a head start on their bachelor's while they're in, so that way they have less time uh, when they get out, but also. Um, figuring out a plan that allows them to finish a bachelor's and at least get most of the way through, if not all the way through a master's, uh, because, uh, you know, veterans like myself, you know, I, I took, I used my GI Bill for my entire bachelor's. It ended up working out uh, in my favor, but I wish I still had some left over to be able to pursue a master's uh, without having to find my own way to pay it. So um, I commend you for that, sir. Thanks. Yeah, it's it definitely took a lot of planning. And honestly, like I didn't know I was going to pull it off for sure until my last semester of, of grad school where I had three days left and I had just which was just enough to get the tuition for that semester, just enough to get the VAH and just enough to get the twelve hundred dollars back from the Montgomery GI Bill fund. So, it was yeah, nice. that's something I think a lot of people don't realize is um, it's pretty from what I understand, at least. You know, from uh, from the that you're from your last semester and from when I was uh, going to school. So long as you had some time left to start a semester, uh, that would essentially cover you for the semester. Um, yeah, which exactly. is huge, right? Which means you don't need the full three four months to cover the semester. If you could start the semester with even with with as much any time that you had left, it would it would uh, cover you, uh, which which is huge. 
Yeah. Um, it makes the GI Bill even more value, more long, like longer than uh, when, it, when you're really given at first. Absolutely, and it, that's like a secret thing that no one really ever talks about. Yeah, you know, as long as you've got a full day, you've got a full semester covered. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, what uh, just just my own what what made you choose American University? So American University, um, there are a couple of things. I want to tell a little bit of story about how I chose Marist College, which is in upstate New York, to Poughkeepsie. Oh, sure. Um, I, I chose that out of a magazine, out of GI Jobs magazine, without ever having gone to the university, without ever having I, – I saw it once while I was driving through when I was on R&R. I had no idea what the school was actually going to be like, but it was military-friendly, and I was like, that looks like a great school. But my first semester at – at Marist, I started looking at grad school. So I had I had barely started my undergrad, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to grad school. I want to find a degree that's going to get me the job that I want that's part of my 10-year plan. And American University has a great international relations program for both undergrad and grad school. So I said, American's the school I'm going to. And my professors are like, you need to you need to look around a little bit, dude. And I was like, no, you know, I'm going to go to AU for my grad school. And I had one professor that was like, okay, like at least choose three safety schools. And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And I did, but I got into AU. So I was like, you know what? That's where I said I was going. That's where I'm going. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you're right. AU, uh, grade school for, uh, the school of international studies is phenomenal. Um, did you experience a lot of veterans when they when they separate experience emo- <clears throat> some sort of emotional crisis when they first get out? Is that anything that you experienced? I wouldn't say necessarily. Uh, I had a little bit of a moment uh, near the end of grad school where I realized that I wasn't I probably wasn't interested in working for the UN anymore after having met some folks that had worked at the UN uh, had done a little bit more research on how the inner workings of the organization work, which is still a great place for people that are interested in that. It wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go anymore. Um, and I had bought a house, so I kind of wanted to stay in the U.S. rather than, you know, look at other opportunities outside the U.S. Cool. Um, and then renewed purpose, another common theme we see with transitioning veterans Um did you did you find yourself sort of in search of one, and if so, like how long did it take you to find that? Yeah, I think in some ways I'm still searching for it. Uh, I have an, a little bit of an idea what I want to do now. Um, I do run a, a religious, military-oriented, veteran-oriented nonprofit, so part of my purpose goes towards that, and the rest is kind of focused on finding ways to encourage people in the U.S. to talk to each other respect one another, which is kind of what my company reach out role playing games is about, about finding ways to do some inner group, intercultural dialogue within the U S using role playing games is that method to do so. Yeah. That's a great segue to our, our talking points on, on veterans using role playing games. Um, just briefly, uh, for anybody who still hasn't caught up on what, what it is we're talking about, what, what is a role playing game? 60 seconds or less. Sure. So a role-playing game is a shared storytelling experience. It's analog, so it's not video game related. It's sitting around a table, having individual characters and telling a story with one another. Each person kind of talking through what they're doing, what sort of things they would like to do, and having a game master or a storyteller uh, kind of explain the world that is moving around them and creating a catalyst for the different stories that the 
players and their characters are telling. Right, and then as you mentioned, you were you were running a Dungeons and Dragons game out in Iraq, and that's probably I, I would think the most popular of the of the genre. Absolutely, probably the one most people are familiar with. Right. Um, so uh, you played with you played with, you hosted a game for soldiers uh, while you're in, um, and. And now you've, I'm imagining you've, you've helped veterans get in, involved with, uh, with role-playing games. Um, what, is, what have you noticed from their experience in, in playing the game, whether they're a newcomer or someone familiar with it? Yeah, the interesting thing with veterans coming into role-playing games is they're a lot more tactically oriented than someone that has never been in the military. The funniest thing I think I've seen in a D&D game was a group of characters stacking a door. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm with you. I totally understand why this is happening. But <laughs> probably your characters wouldn't have thought of that. But that's anyway. You know, things like that are part of what I see veterans bring to the game, which is awesome, as well as a little bit of, like, worldly experience that is always interesting to see as well. In my in my head, I just picture, like, I don't know if these are if these are actual characters in, in whatever game, but I imagine a mage, a druid, an orc, an elf just all stacking a door with Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, someone needs to make a comic about that. Um, <laughs> Be great. Yeah. Um, talk. Tell me about uh, what you've noticed about veterans' um, – interpersonal skills and how those improve through playing role-playing games. Absolutely. I think in general, role-playing games encourage social skills and empathy, which some people listening might be surprised to hear that, that the Dungeon and Dragons geeks have um, in some ways greater empathy or social skills than people might realize. And sure, there are the stereotypes out there, but one thing that I've seen for veterans in particular is it gives you an outlet. It gives you a reason to sit down and talk to people that you wouldn't otherwise talk to and interact really deeply with people. Uh, and it's a way of, of disconnecting a little bit, you know, removing yourself from yourself to understand yourself a little bit better. So I see veterans sit down, interact with people in, uh, in a shared environment like that and really being able to kind of separate themselves slightly from things as a way of, of integrating back into society, if that kind of makes sense in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, so your, your role, uh, both in the example you gave in Iraq and, and, and I'm sure with, um, uh, with what you're referencing with, with working with veterans, um, is the game master, right? And that is the person that is, um, they're all, playing the game and you're sort of the one describing how they're playing or they're describing how when you're telling them what's happening on the decisions that they make. Is that right? Yeah. The, the storyteller, the game master is, is creating the world um, for all of the, um, all of the action to happen. Right. So they are all of the characters that, that are not main characters within a story. You know, if you, it's like a movie where you see the guy behind the, uh, the coffee counter that's the type of thing that the game master is doing is creating that sort of environment. And what do you what do you get out of it personally out of playing role playing games? Man, um, it's a really positive self reflective activity for me. So I get a lot out of uh, of kind of seeing how other people will creatively deal with challenges, which helps me 
um, be able to come up with solutions at work and other places. Um, I get a lot of leadership. I've got, gained a lot of leadership skills from running role-playing games over the years. Um, managing a group of, of five to 150 people for some of the larger live-action role-playing games I've run is a large task. And that sort of organizational skill is really a, a large benefit. So there's lots of different things that I get out of role-playing games. Yeah, I, I, am, I imagine problem-solving has to be one of the bigger benefits in, in doing yep. a regular uh, campaign. Absolutely. It's, puzzles are... Uh, <laughs> for good and bad puzzles and conflict resolution are deeply embedded in role playing games and seeing the way people work through those puzzles it's really helpful for like understanding like if i give this person that i work with this task this is how they're going to complete it just cuz i know kind of how people think about things that they get in tasks and how they work through them it's it's really interesting like i knew that but i really hadn't uh thought about how um when I think about, uh, you know, I, I've played, uh, I've played a couple campaigns, and um, I've definitely noticed the social aspect of it, right? And the storytelling, um, the it, it allows you to explore a creative side that even if you're a creative person, you still find yourself amazed at how creative you're allowed to be, and I think yeah. that's one of the things that. Um, in the couple, in the few games that I've played, has been beneficial. Is it's allowed me to explore my imagination in ways that I stopped exploring when I was like twelve. You know, like it's yeah. um, maybe even before that because video games. I think v- one thing video games did was it limited my imagination because it told me what world to imagine in. You know what I mean? Um, and so. I mean, man, I probably have to go back to like nine, ten years old to when I when I was actually exercising an imagination that really had no limits other than what I understood to be possible. And I think what's great about role playing games is it allows the adult mind to to revisit that unlimited imagination within the set of rules that the game master uh, makes for the world. Absolutely, and it's it's amazing to watch people really get into it and and do what's called immersion, become immersed in the world. And they start making quick decisions that their character would make. They get so like into it at times that they're not even thinking, what would this, how am I acting out what this character would do? They just do it. And it's kind of this natural flow. And that's really like when you can get to that point with a group, that's when you know things are going well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, uh, if anybody listening is intrigued, um, what's like? How does one find a game or connect with other veterans that might be interested in starting a campaign or whatever? Yeah, the easiest way is to use Facebook. Um, there are thousands of, of role playing groups on on Facebook. Um, some really big ones, Dungeons and Dragons, has a, a group on Facebook that has something like eighty thousand people, and the amount of veterans on these groups is uh, it's almost hilarious to me and it's not actually hilarious i don't know what term i would use for it but i'll occasionally throw up a post saying hey who's a vet and the list of people that are like yep i served and then you just see 100 300 replies of all the different people Um, and that's just a really effective way of finding a group usually or finding a local gaming store 
and going in and saying, hey, is there a game? There's actually something called um, the Adventurers League where people will run Dungeons & Dragons in particular every Friday uh, most often so you can go to your local store, find a group of people playing, and get involved that way. Very well. Uh, and then, Josh, I suppose if, if anybody is specifically interested in talking with you about this, um, how can they contact you? Yeah, they can reach out to me uh, from, at my website, which is uh, keeptheheathlands.com. Uh, and they can email me at admin at keeptheheathlands.com. Fantastic. Josh, is, uh, I appreciate your time. Is there any aspect of role-playing games and, and um, the benefits it could provide people, especially veterans that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure gets mentioned? I think the the most important thing is the social community aspect of it. But it's also the ability to understand other people, which I think is really key. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes, even if they're, you know, elven shoes for <laughs> a couple of hours every week, uh, is is helpful in really understanding how other people respond to situations in life. Um, so I think that's a really valuable lesson. Wonderful. Josh, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I hope to play with you soon. <laughs> Definitely. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each of the 168 VA medical centers nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 1-855-VA-WOMEN or 1-855-829-6636 or contact the nearest VA medical center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Now, obviously, uh, I'm not sure if uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you uh, if your local VA uh, would offer uh, opportunities for this, but I, I highly suggest that if this is something that interests you, one reach out to Josh. He can probably point you in the right direction in finding a community. Or um, if you do want to use your local VA as a resource, um, I don't know what your local facility would have available, but uh, talk to your patient advocate there and um, see if there's a way that you can promote or advertise the desire to build a community. It doesn't even have to be around uh, RPGs like we were just talking about, but around a game night, around some sort of community building exercise and activity. And I'm sure you'll get other people interested. Even before that, I would imagine that there's other veterans inside of your facility that have an activity that you can get in on. And the whole purpose of this of that discussion being that there's a lot of ways that veterans can find camaraderie and community outside and after the military. And um, it's as simple as playing games with each other, playing sports with each other. Uh, motorcycle clubs are a really great example. It's one reason why veterans uh, often join motorcycle clubs after because it instantly gives that sense of community again. Talk to your patient advocate, see what they have available uh, in your local facility. 
Today's veteran of the day is Marine Corps veteran Russell Poole. Russell served in the Marine Corps for 30 years. That included stints in Vietnam as well as Japan, all around the United States. Uh, and he finally retired in Yuma. He was a weather observer and forecaster, which is sort of a it's a much it's a very small MOS in the Marine Corps. So his influence was felt uh, everywhere uh, that he that he was, and he no doubt uh, contributed to the success of flight patterns, etc. So uh, we thank Russell for his service. To read Russell's full write-up and to nominate your own veteran of the day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 36. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there's a lot of entertainment out there, but I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these powerful stories and to learn about our veterans and our community. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. Mm-hmm.